If you've tuned into WIHI today, you'll hear a podcast about a subject IHI knows a lot about, patient safety. If you're in a safety oversight role and are looking to bring systemic improvements to your organization, the Patient Safety Executive Development Program is right for you. PSE is an intensive six-and-a-half-day program that will not only help you build a patient safety plan, but will also show you how to secure internal buy-in from senior leaders in your organization. Now in its 17th year, PSE equips you with the skills to foster long-term vitality and to help ensure your patients receive the safe and reliable care they deserve. The Patient Safety Executive Development Program takes place October 24th to 30th, 2019 at IHI's Boston headquarters. For more information, visit IHI.org slash PSE or send us a note at info at IHI.org. Now, here's WIHI. It has been 20 years since the extent of patient deaths due to medical errors in U.S. hospitals first shook American healthcare and the American public. This was thanks to the report to Air is Human, Building a Safer Health System, from the former Institute of Medicine that was renamed National Academy of Medicine. While there was some consternation and disbelief at first, it wasn't long before health systems were learning how to reduce errors, prevent harm, and fix defective systems. Fast forward to today, and there has been progress on multiple fronts. The understanding of the problems and solutions has also gotten more comprehensive. But healthcare leaders recognize that despite all the work on safety over two decades, care is still not as safe and reliable as it should be. Plus, across many organizations, there's a weariness about what can seem like endless improvement initiatives. These are just some of the reasons safety leaders and groups in the U.S. have decided to join forces, convened by the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, IHI, and co-chaired by IHI and the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, ARC, a national steering committee for patient safety, hopes to re-energize the safety movement with a more unified voice, a clearer set of foundational principles and priorities, and better guidance on safety. We're calling this September's edition of WIHI No Let Up on Safety, and we're glad you're listening. I'm Madge Kaplan, host and producer of WIHI and IHI's Director of Communications. I'm honored to be joined in the WIHI studio by four people whose career paths and life's work have helped define and deepen our understanding of safety in healthcare. Let me introduce everyone now. Helen Haskell is president of the nonprofit patient organizations Mothers Against Medical Error and Consumers Advancing Patient Safety. Helen is also a member of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement Board of Directors. Since the medical error death of her young son, Lewis, Helen has devoted herself to healthcare safety in quality in a variety of fields. Welcome, Helen. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here, Madge. All right. Terrific. Jay Bott serves as Senior Vice President, SVP, and Chief Medical Officer, CMO, of the American Hospital Association, and he's President of Health Research and Educational Trust, known as HRET, to many of you. 
As SVP and CMO and president of HRET, Jay and his team lead association activities related to advancing physician leadership, health equity, national strategic partnerships, and government-funded projects. A big welcome to you, Jay, too. Thank you, Madge. Pleasure to be here with all of you. Rear Admiral Jeffrey Brady, United States Public Health Service, has served as the director of the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality's Center for Quality Improvement and Patient Safety since 2014. He's running programs such as patient safety research, healthcare-associated infections prevention, and the Consumer Assessment of Healthcare Providers and Systems Program, often called CAPS. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you all. All right. And finally, Tejal Gandhi is the Chief Clinical and Safety Officer for IHI, leading programs focused on improving patient and workforce safety. Tejal was president and CEO of the National Patient Safety Foundation from 2013 until 2017, and that's when NPSF merged with IHI. She continues to serve as president of the Lucian Leap Institute, and that's a think tank founded by NPSF that now operates within the IHI safety portfolio. So a big welcome to you as well. Thanks, Madge. All right. So a couple of things about today's date, and that's September 17th. That's when we're recording our conversation uh, in the WIHI studio. First, a two-day meeting of the National Steering Committee for Patient Safety has just wrapped up here in Boston. So more on that in a moment. And second, September 17th, marks the first ever World Patient Safety Day, spearheaded by the World Health Organization, WHO. The slogan is Speak Up for Patient Safety, and that's a familiar slogan to the movement, but one that seems to bear repeating again and again, and that's where where we're going to actually start our discussion. I'm going to turn to you, Tejal. On this World Patient Safety Day, it seems one cannot remind people enough to speak up. Why is that the case, that we have to remind people as often as we do, and who needs to be speaking, excuse me, and who needs to be speaking up when we talk about that for safety? Thanks. Well, I think speaking up really relates to everyone in healthcare, certainly patients, and I know Helen will speak to that more, but then you think about frontline staff, you think about uh, middle managers, you think about leaders, you think about organizations, we all need to speak up to elevate the issue of safety as a real core value that we all need to be working on and to highlight some of the um, challenges we're facing, some of the harms that are occurring. I think we have to continue to talk about speaking up because we know that still in healthcare, there's a culture where speaking up is hard. Um, people are worried to speak up about consequences that it may have to them personally. For example, there's a lot of fear, blame, and punishment. And even though we've been talking about creating cultures of safety since To Air is Human that you mentioned in 1999, since then, we still have a long way to go. So people need the courage to speak up, but really they need to have the psychological safety in their environments where they can speak up, where a junior nurse can question a very senior physician um, or a, a leader can uh, uh, speak up to his or her board about resources needed for safety or things like that. So um, it needs to happen at all levels of the organization, but that psychological safety needs to be there where people feel they have trust and respect and there won't be negative consequences for doing so. Thanks, Helen. Um I think a lot of this message is often directed at patients and families. That's been true. We 
hope, at least for the last decade, I think it's been really, really emphasized. Is this working? Are patients and families feeling psychological safety to speak up uh, in the course of their care, uh, either because they have questions or because they may be concerned about something? That's a good question. Yes, I think it is working. I think people are much more aware of um, the need to speak up and the permissibility of speaking up. Um, in general, I think the it's, it's interesting to me that the reasons that patients and providers don't speak up are really the, the same ones. People are afraid that someone will get angry at them, that they'll be made to feel small, or that there'll be some other adverse consequence for them or for their family member. Um, I think with patients in, in particular, they don't know what to do. So they, they don't know um, the questions to ask, and they don't know whom to ask. Um, and people are sort of, you know, they're intimidated. The healthcare system is intimidating. People think that um, they can't possibly know enough to do this. There are all these big words. Um, they know that people go to school for years and years to learn something, and they don't really think, you know, they think, who am I to, to question anything? Um, so I feel strongly that patients need to be given information so that they can, not just information, but permission, so that when they see something not going right, that they can can um, bring it to people's attention and understand really that they are the experts in themselves, even if they don't have a medical education. Jeff and Jay, you're both leaders of organizations that are trying to improve uh, U.S. health care. Um, and yet, with some exceptions, uh, people often say that the U.S. healthcare industry doesn't pay enough attention to other countries and their own innovations and improvements. So what's the significance of World Patient Safety Day, would you say, um, to the U.S. healthcare uh, system? And what kinds of things uh, might help that kind of cross-pollination? Thanks. Sure. Thanks. No, I'd like to start by just thanking um, you, Imagine IHI, and and all the leaders around the table with me for um, highlighting this important topic. I think that alone is a big part of the solutions that we're all trying to um, to put forth and and apply to keep patients safe. So so that's a huge uh, contribution. Um, the other thing I'd like to acknowledge, because I think we we um, we do this, maybe we don't do it enough, but. We've got a lot of dedicated uh, clinicians, other healthcare leaders, and colleagues who work hard every day to keep patients safe. The interesting thing to me is, in spite of all those efforts over the past 20 years, patient harm still occurs all too often. So we've got a lot to learn, and we are learning that, and and, and we're putting that knowledge to use. Um, uh, your question about uh, what we can learn in an internationally, I think um, you know we're we're. We're open to learning wherever that may come from. But the fact that harm is still happening, that's a, a very clear signal to me and I think to others that we are up a ver up against a very wicked set of problems. These are um, not easy things to solve, um, but we are making progress. Um, one of the things that is also interesting as we think about the context that all this is happening in, healthcare has become more and more complex. So the challenge of keeping patients safe, um, you know, goes along with that complexity. And so it's really interesting that 
all the accomplishments that modern healthcare has achieved, many of which are nothing short of miraculous. You know, I think all of us know of people who have really benefited from the advancing science and, and medicine and healthcare. It's ironic that safety still is such a great challenge. And so my boss, uh, the AHRQ director, Mr. Gopal Khanna, he likes to talk about the importance of both the cures in healthcare. That's where we think about healthcare advancing. Um, care is also important. So the cures and the care have to work together. Um, and the care helps to make sure that the cures are safely delivered to patients. And I think that's where a lot of our focus has been and, and thinking about how care happens. And um, we really have to pay attention to all aspects of care. Um, so the need to, to keep keep advancing progress and keep working on this, again, wicked problem is pretty clear to us. Um, you know, the, the uh, other quick thing I would say is the number of things that clinicians have to do, um, that list, um, uh, some of it, you know, c- comes along with the complexity of healthcare. So we're, we're getting smarter. I think the whole field of patient safety is getting smarter about not adding to that list, but trying to think about how can we um, achieve safety in a smarter way. So better integration of the knowledge base that we're creating. Again, cures and care together, um, but doing that in a way that it's not a pylon. It's, it's, a, um, it's a more thoughtful integration of how to achieve both cures and care um, together. And, and we do this with diverse stakeholders. And again, back to your main question, um, some of those are, are international um, colleagues. They've, they've solved some of these problems. So have we. So that, that sharing across borders, I think, has been really fruitful. Okay. Thank you very much, Jeff. Well, Jay, how does it look uh, from the perspective of the American Hospital Association? Thank you, Madge, and uh, thanks to IHI and uh, the incredible group of leaders around this table uh, for their work in this conversation, and we've been so grateful to work together to advance patient safety. I would start by saying that um, World Patient Safety Day means so much because it's an opportunity for our common humanity to be binded together around uh, a shared purpose, uh, to deliver better, safer, smarter care um, to all that we serve, uh, all the people we serve, around the world. And I think what it, the opportunity of engaging with global partners has allowed us to do is create this sense of uh, global advantage where we're learning from each other uh, in ways that we might not be able to and advancing uh, care collectively where we feel we're together part of a movement. And that's what, you know, this day I think celebrates and celebrates both the progress, um, but also recommits us to the challenges that we face that are so complex that uh, Rear Admiral Brady talked about. And um, I think that this is an opportunity for us to lift up leading practices, identify gaps, and uh, understand how we can better serve our workforce uh, in advancing uh, the cause of patient safety. And I've seen in the field just our members um, stand up uh, their own uh, teams to learn from global successes and and apply those uh, internally to their own organizations. So I think that there's a, a real interest, and we're seeing uh, on tough issues um, that healthcare doesn't have borders. And so I think it's increasingly important for us to all work together. Thanks, Jay. All right. So with World Patient Safety Day in our context and uh, a wonderful backdrop for this discussion, Tejal, let me come back to you. So let's talk about this national action plan in the making from the 
pretty newly formed National Steering Committee for Patient Safety and a meeting that's just wrapped up here at IHI in Boston. So give us some background uh, to this whole effort here. And what we're doing, listeners, is we are starting to lay the groundwork for something you will learn more about in the coming months. Thanks, Tejal. Thanks, Madge. Uh, and thanks to everyone in this room as well for being part of the National Steering Committee and really helping us to advance this effort. Uh, so, you know, in 2015, the National Patient Safety Foundation released a report uh, called Free From Harm that was really uh, intended to talk about how do we accelerate our progress in patient safety. We know we've made some progress, but how do we really accelerate? And in that report, we talked about the fact that um, we've had improvement efforts at state, federal, local levels, but work to date has really been on specific, narrowly focused initiatives and harms, and we haven't necessarily had widespread change. So in the report, we talked about ways to accelerate progress, and one of the recommendations was that we need a much more coordinated approach in the U.S. towards patient safety to help really leverage all of the activity going on and make it work together better, more synergistically to, again, help us accelerate. So that recommendation came out in 2015, and as a result of thinking about how do we move forward on this recommendation, we thought it would be really important to create this National Steering Committee for Patient Safety that would include a very diverse group of stakeholders around the United States who are all doing fantastic work on patient safety, but would bring us all together to create a national action plan and have a coordinated agenda that we could all collectively work towards. And so we convened the group about a year and a half ago and have been actively working on uh, creating this national action plan. And the other key piece that we talked about, as I said before, we've done a lot of work on specific initiatives and harms, but we felt collectively that we needed to focus more on foundational issues, foundational areas that if we improve those foundations, it will help all of these initiatives succeed uh, more effectively. And so... For the National Action Plan, we have created subcommittees that are creating recommendations in four foundational areas. And those four areas are leadership, governance, and culture, workforce safety, patient family engagement, and learning systems. And so that is the focus of the plan to say that if we build these foundational areas, then we will have that um, very strong basis on which to accelerate our progress. So we're really excited about the fact that we have over 25 organizations at the table for the National Steering Committee, that we are coming together to create this action plan, which we uh, plan for release in early 2020. And then uh, that's when the real work actually begins, which will be to engage many more stakeholders across the U.S. at many levels to really move forward towards implementing the recommendations in the plan. Uh, but it's really the first time that we've had this sort of coordinated effort in the U.S., and I think there's real power in bringing people together to focus on these issues. Quick follow-up to you. When people say we need to coordinate, um, it always sounds right. Can you give me an example or just some thoughts about really what difference will it make? Or um, Obviously, everyone has been motivated by that, the response that came about was pretty fast. Uh, yes, yes. So somehow this has been on a lot of organizations' minds. We need to coordinate better and collaborate. Why is is it that organizations are giving conflicting messages or cross-purposes or it's just lending itself uh, 
to a lot of confusion? Well, I think there's a lot of different areas that we could work on in patient safety and a lot of um, uh, contributing factors to the safety issues that we have. And so one is a sense of prioritization to say we think these four areas are really key. Um, but the other is also to think about, so if you take, for example, culture, you know, I said at the start that we've been talking about culture for 20 years, and yet we know from data that's out there that we haven't necessarily made the progress that we want on culture. And so many of the organizations in the National Steering Committee have been working on culture in different ways, um, with different strategies. And sometimes that can, uh, get to the front lines uh, as competing messages or different approaches, et cetera. So if we talk about the importance of culture, but then have a very coordinated approach to how we are thinking about improving culture from what does governance need to do, what do senior, senior leaders need to do, et cetera, and then all the organizations that work on culture kind of use that framing when they're talking to leaders of organizations about culture, I think it will make a much more clear message to the recipient of that message about what actually needs to happen. Well, you know, one of the things that has always struck us on the patient side is a little bit odd is the idea of patient engagement. By and large, patients are, are eager to engage and they run into roadblocks. So we, you know, sort of talk among ourselves about Engaging providers, um, you know, healthcare professionals, institutions, um, and I think you know these are, are doors that were really closed to us at the time of the IOM report when I began in patient safety, and they've gradually creaked open over the years. Um, I think patient engagement has been one of the big successes of the patient safety movement, um, and that's largely due to. Um, efforts by some big foundations, by CMS, by um, a number of groups that have um, government, AHRQ and the AHA, that have really tried to engage patients and, and promote this um, large and willing workforce that, that we have out there. Okay. Thank you. So, Jeff, how would you characterize the timing of this uh, endeavor? Uh, Tejal talked about something that started percolating. Uh, well, maybe it was even in the minds of some uh, back in 99. Uh, but even a time period of two, 2015 to 2019 now, um, has the time come? And I'm curious whether you think the safety movement uh, has been uh, adrift or drifting between kind of one initiative and another, but doesn't have a real clear course. So um, I wouldn't say necessarily that it's been drifting. I think one of the most interesting um, features of the safety field is that it exists now. And so that is a very new and different um, situation from 20 years ago. So uh, several of us around the table participating in the committee have observed the fact that our types of jobs didn't exist, you know, uh, as clearly back then. And so that's just one indicator. The, the, another indicator is the, the numbers of solutions we have. We actually have a, a, a nice situation um, that is a, a step in the direction of solving the problem. The, the, one of the challenges is putting all of these solutions multiple together. Um, programs like ours at ARC and, and others throughout the country that have been studying, understanding, and working to improve safety have produced a lot of knowledge. And I think um, um, while 
when we are coordinating and collaborating, some of what we're doing is organizing that knowledge into um, a coherent um, common framework. Uh, the foundational um, aspects that Tejal talked about are, are just as the name implies, those are the foundations of what we're building. Um, but being a bit more organized, I like the way Jay talked about a shared purpose. We've spent a fair amount of our time in the meeting um, confirming the shared purpose and um, uh, getting the language right. Um, again, with anything that's complex, there you know the complexities need to be addressed. There are lots of balances to address. Um, and so in addition to that, though, we have been very practical. And um, a lot of that practicality uh, reflects the very real needs of patients primarily, first and foremost, and clinicians um, almost equal to that because that's really where care happens is between patients and providers. So if we're not serving their needs um, adequately, we're probably not going to be successful. So so trying to be more organized and, um, you know, again, recognize that um, even though we've already produced a, a fair amount of knowledge um, thankfully we're still we're still doing that uh, on the one hand that helps the problem on the other hand it adds to the challenge of coordination so, so there again it, it un, th that situation underscores the ongoing need for collaboration and coordination to, to reaffirm that shared purpose and make sure that we've got not only the what uh, well in hand but the how and, and, and looking at how things are coordinated, um, again, always coming back to the frontline providers and patients and, and what are their needs and are all of these very influential organizations that are represented around the table, are, are they doing what they intend to do, which is to serve um, those interests? So um, I think all of those are important features and it's been really rewarding to see them in action as part of, the, part of this work. Would I put you on the spot if I asked you, where do you think uh, the safety movement has been especially strong in producing knowledge right now, the knowledge that really I think must give all these groups some real uh, confidence uh, in being able to really carry forward something um, even more, something even stronger. Yeah, Absolutely. Not, not on the spot. It's my favorite question because I think the other thing that's important is that we celebrate our, our successes and it's our in the, in the broadest sense. Um, some of the most impactful solutions have come from different stakeholders working together. Um, uh, we, we've talked about central line associated bloodstream infections and I would say more generally healthcare associated infections, you know, across the board, although we still have plenty of challenges in that category alone. Um, it's an area where um, sound measurement and, you know, committed effort has produced a lot of, a lot of good work. Um, back to Tejal's really clear articulation of the National Steering Committee, we're trying to navigate with the field this shift from the project by project approach um, again, which have demonstrated you know many successes, but navigate from that to um, a more across the board approach that addresses all of the harms. Um, not an easy task to change thinking, change how we do things, um, but we know patients care about every potential harm, and, and so do providers. And so we're, we're we're trying to figure out the best ways to to do that. Um, and again. Um, do it practically, not just say we're going to do it. And it starts with that shared purpose in mind. I think safety offers an opportunity for effective collaboration and coordination. So, you know, our view is that 
<clears throat> we can't scale transformation without that. Um, that we are trying to bring together members in unique and different ways around those issues which uh, are important to have a shared commitment and purpose on and, and safety being one of them. We're seeing it around the social determinants of health. We're seeing it um, around quality and innovation. Um, so there are some bright lights uh, uh, that are emerging in, in this regard. So I would say that um, our work with ARC, with CMS, uh, with IHI and with patient groups, there's been great examples of when we've brought uh, organizations and stakeholders together around quality and safety uh, that we do see collaboration happening. And, uh, you know, it's it's this um, notion of aims create systems and systems create results. And uh, that's, you know, what I've taken uh, away, one of the most important takeaways from our work with the, our government agency partners. Uh, and that's really, I think, made a difference in the field around a mindset orientation. So I think that the National Action Plan and the National Steering Committee is um, charting a course of uh, breakthrough and mindset so that we work differently together uh, to achieve uh, the shared purpose and commitment of keeping patients safer. So, Tejal, do you want to weigh in at all to what you've been hearing? Uh, we've got an industry poise uh, to be very receptive that's also um, kind of gotten some experience the last 20 years about the collaboration. Um, are you optimistic? Uh, shall we talk about health professionals and some of the ups and downs that health professionals sometimes have with trying to figure out uh, the various initiatives, and do you think a national action plan will be welcome to many of those? I think uh, a national action plan that clearly articulates what we need to do and where we need to go will be really helpful. Um, you know, I think one of the, you talked about the frontline providers and how they're bombarded by a lot of different things. One of the key components to this plan is actually a focus on workforce safety which includes physical and psychological safety, but really starts to get at issues of burnout and other things as well. And I think it, it makes a strong case, too, that we will never achieve patient safety unless we have a physically and psychologically safe workforce. And I think that will actually resonate uh, with a lot of the frontline folks who often feel like they're just getting more and more things thrown at them without having that support that they need for their own um, well-being. So I think that piece is really important. The other thing to, to build on what Jay said is I do think that um, safety is a unifying concept that really brings people together. No one goes to work to harm anybody. Uh, I know, uh, you know, it's often much easier to engage clinicians on safety-related activities than other activities because they do feel a passion around first do no harm. Uh, and I think organizations, when they come together and learn and share, really see value in that. And a great example, I think, is Solutions for Patient Safety, which is a network of pediatric hospitals, over 100, who are coming together and really learning and sharing with each other to improve outcomes. And um, those organizations really see the value of that. And I think those are the kinds of models and bright lights that we have in the field that we really want to uh, uh, try to learn from and scale up to even more organizations as we go forward, which, uh, you know, the learning systems group that's working on the national action plan is really going to highlight. So, um, so I think there's an appetite for it, especially if people really see that value coming through. We brought together over 1600 hospitals in 34 states to have a collective, uh, impact, uh, 
effort on safety and quality. And I think that this that creates this community of shared learning uh, and and partnership together. I think to this point that um, uh, Dr. Brady was talking about in terms of progress and Helen and Thajel have talked about in, in terms of progress. It's I don't know that 20 years ago we could have said that there were four years without a catheter-based infection in a host of organizations or a million transfusions without a mismatch or um, uh, um, we've, you know, had these high reliability stories that have shown that zero is possible and sustainable, not in infinity, but certainly for a significant period of time. And I think that that's remarkable and something to celebrate. Thanks. Tejal. Well, and just to build on that too, one of the things that we've learned in safety, and this actually came up in some of our discussions at our National Steering Committee, one of the things we've learned is that um, we need to understand what happened when things go wrong, but we also need to uh, better learn from when things go well and really learn from the positives and highlight the positives. And even when you think about these issues of burnout and other things, we need to celebrate successes and celebrate the positives. So um, I think that's going to be an important part uh, of what we talk about with this National Action Plan. As we've seen these successes, as Jay points out, how do we really highlight those and then make sure that they are spreading uh, to other organizations and scaling? So I think that'll be a key component. Helen, I'm curious, do patients and families celebrate infection reduction? They do when it happens. Um, I think one of the things that's happened is that we've had successes in some areas and um, there are gaps and, and we've had a rise in things like infections in other areas. So we need to... Um, and that's one of the problems with coordination that we're trying to address is to, to make sure that these, these um, initiatives are really across the board, that we're capturing everything. Overall, we have a long way to go in that. I think a lot of um, healthcare providers are, are fearful of patient engagement. They're afraid that um, their secrets will be spilled, that, um, that they will have angry people in that. I, I don't ever actually know of a case where either of those things has happened, um, which is interesting. The, the difference in perspective is, is huge. There's a gap there. Um, in terms of what I see as critical in patient engagement, I am really very focused on the patient reporting because I think that um, it's it's easy to to try to fix things and to think you've succeeded without really knowing the outcome for the patient and not just the immediate outcome but the long-term outcomes. And we've got some exciting new initiatives um, now. This is something that's starting to happen and, and there's a lot of work now on what's the best way to do this. And uh, I think the the CAP surveys that, that our sponsors have been really transformative in healthcare in terms of... Um, behavior toward patients, how patients feel they are treated. And I, I think that's been a, um, a critical thing, and I think we can go far beyond just um, behavior and how people are treated, but really find out the long-term effects of our procedures and treatments. So to me, that's the most exciting part of patient engagement. Okay, thanks. Jay, do you feel that there is a gap? Helen was suggesting sometimes that 
providers are worried or systems, health systems may sometimes be worried that they're going to get a lot of demands from patients and families uh, or kind of uh, – <laughs> I don't know whether it's fair to say just uh, an intensity that they're not prepared uh, to deal with. You know, I think Helen um, gets it right in terms of that we've made progress and started to move thinking around the involvement of patients and families in care delivery, but that there is uh, more work to do and uh, more learning uh, that I think we've got to help facilitate because I, it may not be as intuitive of how patients and families can best um, be involved in their care given the complexities of the delivery uh, environment. And I think um, we've learned a lot from patient family advisory committees. Uh, we've uh, you know, learned a lot from our work <clears throat> with the Hospital Improvement Innovation Network uh, with CMS in partnership for patients where patients and family engagement is such a, a critical part of that work, as well as um, our recent work with age-friendly health systems where We've asked the question of what matters as a key element of uh, an approach um, to improving quality and safety. And I, I think um, patients and families and the notion of co-production will become increasingly important uh, as we move forward. And I think you'll see care models and workforce and care pathways um, really anchored around the involvement of patients and families You know that go beyond, I think, uh, the patient and family advisory committee approach. Uh, and I also think that this notion of community visioning as it relates to social determinants and community health where patients and families and community members actually chart a new course together with the healthcare delivery system workforce. Uh, we've seen this happen um, in Virginia and Chicago and a number of other places where they're really um, driving a change in strategy uh, to make a campus more safer or to help uh, support jobs in a community that then impacts health um, or to improve uh, even uh, safety as it relates to design of a, a organization's workflow. So I think that there's some really interesting efforts going on where the voice of patients and families and uh, is becoming uh, integrated into care delivery. And we're seeing a lot of focus on that around maternal health. Uh, and uh, I think appropriately so is uh, uh, in any of these places where um, we can create systems that make it easier for us to listen to, to patients and families, that's great. And imagine if the keyboard and the mouse were out of the room. Uh, and that interaction uh, would just be a different kind of interaction. Uh, so I think we're really excited about the direction and uh, supportive of trying to help hospitals and health systems um, further accelerate their efforts around patient and family engagement. Thank you, Jay. Uh, Jeff, the, uh, Tejo alluded to it earlier, the four foundational areas, and one of them has to do with learning systems. And that could, under some circumstances, seem very dry mm -hmm. and very boring. Um, learning systems, uh, just the phrase. But it isn't at all. And it's obviously this group has decided it is key. What is so key about it? So, yeah, this is, again, all four of the foundational areas are are important. So um, this is kind of like picking your favorite child, right? You know, they're all <laughs> your, your favorites. Um, and uh, learning systems, though, probably is a favorite among favorites for me. It, it's kind of the heart of what's happening. So whether it's the, 
the kind of innovation that Jay described that's happening in different places throughout the country, um, or it's um, the application of new data methods, you know, and many other examples. I think a learning system helps, number one, capture the knowledge um, that's that's happening in that way, whether it's locally, regionally, or even nationally. Um, and then here's the the really important part. It's not just about learning. They, they probably should be described learning and doing systems because there is a, a direct feedback loop into action. Um, and that's really at the heart of the principles that the National Academy of Medicine and others have outlined and elaborated. It's this connection of um, data and knowledge uh, directly influencing practice and and then um, it's a cycle so that um, practice produces even more information and knowledge and that's another opportunity from learning and when it works well um, the cycle um, in a very positive way feeds on itself and and there are connections between different parts of the larger system and so that's what a lot of us in our organizations I think have tried to facilitate is that interorganizational learning and the the committee um, was really that we have a subcommittee for each of these foundational areas and all of them have been very thoughtful um, one of the basic points that has come up in the learning health system is there is both intra and inter-organizational learning. Both of those are key. And when we talk about scale up and um, improvement at scale, uh, sustaining improvements, all of those, when it's working correctly, a learning health system will help drive that and guide it. So there's also an efficiency component to it. We know that um, it can't all be about just learning and trying to understand I mean, we've got um, very real challenges that the healthcare system is trying to solve outside of safety. And so we've got to be efficient and um, not add burden to the system. In fact, some of what a learning health system can do is identify what's most impactful and supportive of the shared purpose and which things maybe don't have the, the contribution that we thought they did. And that allows us to shift to um, – to different priorities. Again, learning and doing and, and, and driving that cycle. So you can tell it's one of my favorite of the, of the foundational areas. Well, I think uh, let's wrap up now. And um, I'm just sort of paraphrasing the exact titles of these four foundational areas, areas, excuse me, the learning system focus, uh, learning and doing, as Jeff has reminded us, leadership, uh, governance and culture and patient and family engagement and the workforce uh, safety issues. So, Tejo, I'll turn to you and tell us what's going to happen next. We're taping this again on September 17th, World Patient Safety Day. We've got the fall and the winter, and uh, give us some idea. How would people watch this space, for example? Thanks. So the National Steering Committee is going to be working very hard over the next few months to take the recommendations from these subcommittees that we've talked about in these four foundational areas, uh, to take those recommendations and turn it into a consolidated national action plan. And that is the work that will happen for the next several months with the goal of releasing the National Action Plan in 2020, uh, in the first several months of 2020. And there will be a lot of uh, outreach, communication, dissemination efforts from all the members of the steering committee when the report and action plan is coming out. And so people can certainly uh, keep their uh, ears open for that in early 2020. Uh, and then really um, there are 
going to be many opportunities to engage with the plan in the sense of really thinking about how you, your organization, association, whatever it might be, can actually uh, look at those recommendations and think about how it applies to you and what you can do to drive forward some of the actions in those recommendations. So I think we are really going to be looking to, this is not just 27 organizations that are going to do this work. It's really the collective uh, in the United States that needs to do the work. And so we will be identifying ways for people to really understand what they can do at whatever uh, organization or situation that they are in. Um, and that includes patients, as we've talked about, and what are things that patients and the public can do as well. Uh, for those who are super interested, um, I will mention that at the IHI Forum in December, we'll have a special interest breakfast uh, on December 11th, uh, just to for, so people can learn more about where we are in the process, what may be coming out, and um, get uh, a little more information prior to the release. So if anyone's interested in that, we'd love to talk more to you at that breakfast in December. Sounds good. And there, of course, is an important safety track at the forum uh, that people can check out. Well, I want to uh, give a big thank you to our panel, uh, Tejo Gandhi, Helen Haskell, uh, Jay Brod, excuse me, Jay Bod and Jeff Brady. Um, really appreciate your time at the end of a pretty rigorous meeting that you've held here in Boston. You can check out www.ihi.org slash WIHI for additional resources related to our topic today on this podcast. And you'll find there a small deck of slides with some basics about the National Steering Committee, the National Action Plan, and also longer bios of our panel, and a nice uh, link for uh, how to stay tuned. You can sign up to kind of uh, get some updates. Um, and you can always find WIHI on Apple Podcasts, and you can subscribe under the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. There's a great group of people who make WIHI possible, and they include Matt Morse, Vicki Minden, Joanna Carmona, Mo Berry, Val Weber, and Pat McTiernan. I want to give a special shout-out to Caitlin Lorenz for her help with today's program. It's my privilege always to host this program. It's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all. For the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day. Thanks for tuning in to WIHI. If you've enjoyed today's conversation featuring members of the National Steering Committee for Patient Safety and you'd like to learn more, consider joining us at this year's IHI National Forum on Quality Improvement in Healthcare. The IHI Forum features nine learning tracks, one devoted entirely to patient safety, four keynote presentations, excursions, networking, and even a special breakfast featuring some of today's guests. Join us in Orlando, Florida, December 8th to 11th, 2019, and gain practical knowledge while bringing a new perspective to your work. Visit IHI.org forum for more information and explore how improvement science methodologies can be used to affect real change in patient safety and in healthcare.